assistant professor or associate professor? I'm, I'm, I'm still a student, but oh. I mean, I'm a doctoral student. I'm not just a okay. student. Student should be a doctor though. Yes, I will be a doctor in the early part of this decade. Okay, so Shakaya, this is um, Professor Gerald or Mr. Gerald or- I'm still Mr. <laughs> so, Yes, so um, this whole thing, I, I have a podcast which you can listen to if you want to. I don't know that you would want to, but you could. Um, and I talk about like language and race and things like that on there, um, mostly because, as I say, on many of my episodes last summer, my wife told me I needed to get all of my extra talking out. Um, it's true. She's over there. Um, and so... Uh, Dr. Shapiro was telling me about uh, the classes you all take and uh, she asked me in March I think if it would be interesting to have some of the students on talk and so I said sure and then you know I waited until literally the last possible minute since yeah. it's the last class um, <laughs> but you know here I am to talk to all of you I don't have it would be pretty informal most of my conversations on the podcast are pretty informal so um, just to talk to all of you about some of the things that you've learned I've heard that you've learned interesting things uh, that I wish that I had learned I don't know what uh, year you're in in school but this is my first year at university First year at university? Okay. Yeah. I was not learning things this interesting when I was in my first year at university 17 years ago. But, uh, you know, that, that, that's, uh, I, yeah, I don't even know what I was learning in 2003. Yeah. Basically, when you were about, like, what, one, I was starting university. So. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we just lost Sh Sashana. Rihanna said her laptop is sticking, but she's trying to log in on. Good, good, good. She's okay. um, let's see. What else? I'm hoping that we'll get other people besides you, although, I mean, we can give you all of our attention. Um, so um, I guess until we get other students so we can, you know, talk about the end of the semester and wrap things up and I can give you some information about the exam, which I'll do at the end if people show up. Otherwise, you get all the information. Um, uh, I guess what I'd like to talk uh, with you about so we can, you know, share this with anybody who's interested in listening to you is how you... Uh, how do you remember uh, learning about this in the beginning of the class? Okay. Um, sorry for my background noise, by the way. I live on a very busy road. Um, so um, at first, we focused a lot on the book. That was like, our main thing at school in class. I thought it was very helpful. I thought it was a different way to teach the course from what I heard other people say. So I heard other people saying that they were given uh, materials, not language-based, but then they had to determine or make inferences about language based on what they were given. Or for us, you were given language-based content to study. To me, it was like killing two birds with one stone and to a certain extent. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And there was a lot of discussion, which I really enjoyed. There was a lot of hands-on teaching as well. Um, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. You asked the question. So, uh, what was your final, you, uh, Dr. Shapiro gave me a list of people's final papers, but she didn't put people's names on it. So, uh, and she didn't show me the paper. She told me the topics. So what did you end up writing about? Just so well, my final paper is, um, I am talking about the social, the implications of the Latin languages. So I really uh, wanted to focus on that because I think, well, from what I was actually inspired from one of the chapters we studied, what is the difference between a language and a dialect? It was written by Tucker Childs. Mm -hmm. And I chose to write this, paper, write this paper story because to me, even though we are predominantly a Black society, majority of our people here still choose not to speak their own language. A lot of people here don't like to speak Asian dialect. And that is mainly because of the negative connotation still associated with speaking that language. So I used my paper as a way to show where this negative connotation started from. So I spoke about things that happened in the 1800s. I 
talk about how it transitioned into slavery and talk about how it's present in today's society. I also wanted to focus a little bit on larger communities, like for example, the United States, where they have minorities, because it's usually the minorities who see what is considered dialect and not the language. And so they actually go through a lot of hardships and they have a harder time like surviving in society just because of what they speak, because it's not considered standard or formal. And like the way they are treated just because they choose to speak their native language or what they're accustomed to. So before you had, um, hello, um, before you had taken the class, what did you know about dialects um, altogether? I knew a fairly decent amount. Um, I studied history for seven years, so I had a historical knowledge um, on that. I also, um, at my secondary school, we had to do a subject called communication studies which was based on language. You had to learn everything you think about, or most things about language. So I had a general background knowledge about it, but doing this course, I learned even more things that I did not know, especially some resources that Shapiro gave me. So even though I knew stuff, it was still learned a lot, but I did have a general knowledge about it. I did understand the way people were treated. I did understand the majority of where these things originated from. I did understand their places in society, but I did learn a lot from reading that article and the resources that she gave me in the past. Good, good. So, yeah, you know, go ahead. Is, uh, Peter, are you, um, I know that you've muted, but are you here with, with us? Peter? I see that he's there. I know. Come back, Peter. Oh, sorry is. about that. Was in the living room and it's really loud. I'm sorry, I know. So, what do you think about um, how you have um, changed your understanding about language and dialect, or just the class over since the beginning? Um, I came into class thinking it was like every other English class we had from secondary school onwards, well, English language. But um, it doesn't feel anywhere like that. It's more of an open discussion. And it just feels like a better learning environment compared to the secondary school English classes. So if maybe, just because I don't know, um, could you tell me a little bit like what you were learning in the secondary school English classes? Because I can I can guess, but I don't know for sure. Oh, well, let me differentiate um, secondary school English classes because we have English Lit and Lang. I did yeah, both, yeah. but I, by more of a boring class, I mean English language-wise, because <laughs> it was always just write an essay what uh, conveying a certain tone and message, et cetera, et cetera, year after year. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like I was learning about English itself because you already learned about the what you're supposed to learn in first form with the different literary devices, using them in an essay, regurgitating it for five, six years, and that was that. Um, yeah, no, because I, I think what people and what uh, Shakaya was saying about, um, you know, learning the difference between language and dialect and so forth, or really the way that languages and dialects are constructed is really what I should say, is uh, people think that when people speak what are what is considered a certain dialect of a language, that it means that their language or their use of the language is lesser, right? Or is not, you know, not as valuable as other things. And... Yeah. Um, you hear that a lot here in the United States, you hear it in other places. So if someone speaks, for example, uh, you know, like a, like a Jamaican or something else, uh, di dialect of English, or sorry, what is called a Jamaican dialect of English doesn't mean that it's not its own language. They're seen as, oh, well, they don't really speak the proper standard English. And uh, that always falls on the minoritized group to have to prove that what they speak is as legitimate as what the majority speaks, you know? I understand, and I agree, because back 
well, I'll say my parents' generation and before, you had to adopt proper English because they would say that's the only way you'll get work in this time. And I believe that's not true. I love my Barbadian accent. I love the Bajan dialect. And I will not let it go to climb further up in society. Thank you. Somebody else joined, but yeah, no, that's, that's, it's not something that I've had to consider myself because as you, you hear what I'm saying, I'm not adopting any accent. This is just what I sound like. But um, we have actually talked about that where, um, and I shared with them an article that um, gives some neurological or psycholinguistic and neurolinguistic evidence that people who, you know, that people who are bi, uh, bilingual have more active parts of the brain, but apparently people who are bi-dialectal have um, similar parts of the brain to be active as well. So they're more, I would call, you know, efficient. Um, and I talked about how I have pretty much one um, part of my brain versus, you know, people who have, um, can go back and forth between a, um, a distinct dialect, um, a sort of a group dialect, and then sort of a standard dialect. Um, so we, we have talked about that. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I, when I was younger, at least, uh, not to take the conversation over from all of you, but um, when I was younger, I used to, to put a lot of effort in to try to sort of slide from the people I knew at school, who were, you know, predominantly white, to the people I knew in like my family and in sort of my neighborhood and stuff like that. And um, I felt like I was, I was, it was a lot of effort to do both because I was sort of in a liminal or in-between space a lot of the time. Um, and I gave up eventually as an adult. I just talk like this now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also have that option because my the natural way that I speak is not as far from the standard, which is something that I ponder and wonder about, but I can't pretend to have a different way of speaking than what I actually have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, sorry, Brianna joined here. Hi. So we were, the question was, uh, how do you feel like you've changed your understanding about language or linguistics or um, your role um, in, in language use uh, from the beginning of the semester? Um, well, the beginning of the semester, I was still having this internal conflict with myself. Um, whether we should teach Bayesian dialect in schools. And at first I was like, no, it doesn't make any sense because when they get out into, when they, they, when they move past Barbados, people aren't going to understand them. People aren't, and people aren't going to try to understand them. And therefore it shouldn't be taught. But no, if I'm being honest, after your class, it made me realize that's kind of an ignorant stance to hold. I do believe that they should learn standard English, but I also believe that Bayesian dialect should be used to teach in schools because that doing research on the assignment I'm doing, which is um, how, how African-American vernacular English um, is is not really accepted in America. Um, it taught me that you can actually miss a lot of people by excluding their native their native language or dialect. So a lot so and from my experience with talking to people who speak pure Bayesian, when I speak like this, they don't understand me as much as if I speak um Bayesian dialect. So I feel like both should be integrated. Yeah. <laughs> the um, I mean, it's 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 sort of um, that what you said was interesting because you talked a little bit about how you know people should still learn what is considered the standard, but uh, they shouldn't have their own dialect or way of speaking excluded, right? And it's um, it's sort of a challenge to find that balance you know, um, for both a program or a teacher or, or even for a student, because 
you know, there's so much external pressure on focusing on the standards, right? Oh, they won't learn the standards if we uh, spend time on the, the way that they already speak. But, uh, I mean, which I think you understand now and what I think is the case, sorry, it's my son in the background, um, is that there is time. Um, it simply has to be, the effort just has to be put in. And what really is happening is people don't want to put the effort in to allow the, the native language or the innate language or whatever to be developed and to be supported. It's really because the people in charge don't want to put the work in. I think that's my point. Is that yeah. that's really the problem, not honestly, the people who need to learn. Sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, honestly, I think it's simple, especially in, for us in Barbados. We're literally everywhere you go, you will hear Bajan dialect. It's as simple as stop saying you sound ignorant in a professional setting like school, where somebody is speaking Bajan dialect. It's as simple as you sound ignorant. Ignorant. Stop telling people, oh, you speak well for a Bajan girl. It's as simple as that, honestly. At least in my opinion. And I think she does have a very valid point because when I was in primary school, a lot of my teachers did not like me because they thought I was bougie or stuck up. Because <laughs> I spoke standard English and they did not go to a, one of our private schools. They went to a public primary school. And they expected me to be here like majority of the other students from the neighborhood. So because of the way I spoke, it was, I don't want to say outcast because that's a very strong word, but it was like, Oh, well, she thinks she's better than everyone else. And I think that needs to stop because then that, well, it was better than to let them stop me shame and stop me flow. So good for that. But it will hurt a lot of other individuals who don't know who they are, don't know, aren't confident within themselves. So I think that that's the same reason I decided to write this paper because that kind of negative attitude to the way we speak and things we say, that's because I choose to study English at school because I know that what that says. It doesn't make me say that I'm better than anyone else. I spoke standard English to my teachers, I spoke dialect to my friends, because that is the distinction that we were allowed to make in schools. So I think that because some, everyone doesn't recognize that distinction, or some people do not understand why you're making that distinction, it can lead to a lot of unnecessary drama. Agreed. Because mm -hmm. people, who, people who speak standard Bayesian dialect, when they see that, when they even when they see you saying, oh, she's so bougie, they see bougie as a word that means higher class, that means mm -hmm. better than. So even when you do that in a negative light, it says to them that, oh, she's doing something different that may be deemed as better by other people. So I, I agree with Shikoya. Hey, Dario, can we see you? Dario. Well, while he figures that out, I'm going to respond to what Shikaya said. Um, yeah, that's, you, I mean, I don't know if you've maybe read articles on this because it, it, in your research this is the kind of thing that would come up, but you hear this a lot in the United States, you know, about like talking white, right, being a thing, you know, um, and there's a lot of discussion on it because, you know, the initial thing was how could these people be saying that someone's talking white is bad, right? And then you had people saying, well, actually, what if the people who are quote unquote talking white are talking down to them? Because sometimes that happens, right? Uh, and then you have, like, so then the, the cycle comes back around again, where you say, okay, but like, as you were saying, if you're not deliberately trying to speak a way to distance yourself from people, then for you, as I said, was the case with me, if you're talking the way that you talk naturally, I don't know that people uh, can fairly say that you're trying, that you're being distant from other people or better than other people. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's, um, it's important, I think, to, Ooh, yeah. well, I'll, I'll just be the professor now then. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, the neighbors, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's very important for us not to allow, because I understand why people do that, especially when they're kids or teenagers, like, you know, there's, people are insecure, and I don't mean that in a negative way, we all are, so expecting that people will not react a certain way to a difference isn't necessarily realistic, but um, I know that uh, when I was told that I talked a certain way, and I tried not to, I honestly think that that was worse. When I tried to to sound more like the people who were saying th that I sounded a certain way, then I just sounded ridiculous. So, like, I could do it, 
but like I I don't necessarily feel that that made things better so like at a certain point at least as an adult now I had to just sort of accept the way that I talk and try to do what I can to support the community that I really am still a part of even though I sound a little bit different from them. And by the way we're also talking about um, the, the minority or no, the non-standard uh, uh, community in terms of, oh, let's talk about, you know, the, um, the way that we speak versus the way that the standard speaks or the, the majority or, well, it's actually not majority in Barbados, is it? And so we, I, it's probably a good idea to think about how we can kind of flip that and say, remember, it's your job to understand me too, rather than me understanding you. You know, I, I approached my students, uh, and part of the reason actually why I wanted to come here and teach is because I wanted to get a better understanding of my students' um, accent and dialect in New York. So, and it really has. So it's, 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 it's also a case that people who are the majority uh, and I use that in the you know quotation marks, are and especially in education, are responsible for trying to come to where the students are. I think that a big part of the problem, especially just in education, at least in the United States, um, is you know the majority, and here I mean it in terms of numbers of educators are from a certain demographic. Let's put it that way, um, and. They feel that their students need to do all the work to be understood, right? Um, and if the students haven't put in extra work to be understood, which is either removing an accent, or, which isn't really possible, but you know what I'm saying, uh, or say, using certain words, then they will, uh, they deserve not to be um, assessed as positively as they otherwise might be, right? Uh, whereas... I think a big part of what's missing is what, you know, Flores and Rosa call talking about the, the white listener, right? You know, we don't talk about the people receiving the language. We only talk about people producing the language. And partially because that's not the way that language studies was designed, you know, where it's designed to talk about how you produce the language. And part of that is intentional and part of that is just happenstance. But like, if you're an educator and you haven't spent the time trying to understand different versions of the language that you speak, you're going to come up short. And I think that that isn't really put into a lot of the education training programs um, because I know that, you know, one of the things I, I used to teach in, in Asia for the students. Um, and one of the things that I learned pretty quickly was that I can understand most of what my students said you know, after I spent a few months there, you know, yeah, they had an accent that I was unfamiliar with, but you've become familiar. Right. And a lot of teachers are unfamiliar. And then instead of being unfamiliar is nobody's fault. It's taking the extra step to become familiar or to become well-versed in something that a lot of teachers don't do because there is no professional incentive to do so. It's the right thing to do, but it doesn't necessarily get you more money. It doesn't necessarily, you know, ensure your job to understand your students better because the industry and the system and so on and so forth doesn't really care how well you understand your students. It only cares how well your students put the effort in to be understood in a certain way. That was a lot of things that I said, so I'm going to stop now. But some points I, I had to so two things that, that I want to bring up. Um, um, so anybody, um, Brianna, I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. But anybody, um, did you look at the um, uh, Netflix um, series that I asked you to look at? And um, remember what I asked you about the subtitles? Um, Bernice, Peter, Dario, Shakaya. Brianna, you're going to get your own question in a minute. Um, yeah, I watched it. And so talk, talk to us, um, explain it um, for Mr. Gerald, and um, explain why you think I asked you to, um, to, to read, I mean, to watch this. And uh, I watched the first episode. Wait, what show is this? Sorry. Um, I think it's called The Innocent Files. Innocent Files. Yeah, Innocent Files. 
I'm so it's mainly about this latest law firm, I guess you can call it. And they take they receive letters from inmates who claim to be innocent and they try to fight their case for them. One of the first things I noticed was that of all the letters that came in, the only persons who sent letters in were black persons. That was the first thing that stood out to me. The very first thing. The second thing um, that stood out to me was this lady, she was the mother of one of the first victims. And the and Netflix automatically put subtitles on what she was saying because she wasn't speaking what was considered standard English. No one else was subtitled automatically. At first I had all my subtitles, but then after mom pointed it out, I went and watched it again. And the subtitles for her came out automatically. They didn't have to turn them on. So the producers and directors automatically assumed that because she was not speaking standard English, no one would be able to understand what it is she had to say. It was a Dutch jump to a conclusion with no prior knowledge. Thirdly, the thing that stood out to me, there was one gentleman from Mississippi, I believe. He was a white male. And he said that he does not think that race had anything to do with the way these people were wrongfully conflicted. But I think that just goes to show, like, not just language based, but because you are considered inferior in any society, it doesn't matter your race, what you speak, just the fact that you are considered inferior in any society, you automatically lose privileges. I, like I said, I did not finish the entire series, I'm just speaking based on the first episode and from previous knowledge. And I think Mom also mentioned that there's only one white person who was wrongly convicted in the entire, in the series that she had walked so far. I think that just goes to show that the way persons are treated based on like, the slightest thing. So that was like one of the main things that stuck out to me. I think that's one of the reasons she told us to watch it as well, mainly for the subtitles, but other things stuck out to me. Okay. Before Sashana shows up, because I wanted to respond to what you're saying, Shikai. Um, yeah, this subtitles thing is interesting to me. Because there's, I rem- I first noticed this long before I was a teacher, long before I didn't do with language. When I was a kid, there were certain athletes where they would put subtitles on them, even if their first language was English, right? Um, like there were athletes who were either from the Caribbean or who were from Africa, who I think you can guess what their race was, um, who spoke English and there was nothing, not that there really should be a proper standard English, but I'm saying nothing was wrong about the words they were using, right? The words were all in the quote unquote correct order, but they put the subtitle there because they had, you know, an accent because the studies have shown if someone looks a certain way that people understand them less, even if they're using the exact same words, right? I think about like the Kembe Mutombo, um, who I, I think he's from uh, the Congo. And, you know, like, uh, they, they just assumed that we couldn't understand what they were saying. And this has been going on for years and years and years. And then um, uh, that's something that I didn't really put into my understanding until I got to my doctoral studies and to my, my master's studies years later and realized that, like, that's what they were showing. Because even if you understand what he's saying, and most people watching probably did, if you see here are some subtitles, you think in your head, well, this person must not be understandable, so I'm just going to read these subtitles, and therefore this person is lesser, and so on and so forth. So while there was probably someone in the studio who put the subtitles on there who was thinking, people aren't going to understand him, so I need to put some subtitles on there, and I want to help people understand him, and so forth, there was also this this thing that people didn't understand about how the subtitles are their own signal. And that's that's right. a, a Brianna, problem. this brings us to the question about like your paper because that's kind of where you're going, right? Yes, please. <laughs> before, before we get to that, I would just like to play devil's advocate. I watched it. I always watch my Netflix with subtitles but I turn off the I turn off the subtitles for this. I will say when they did put on subtitles for African American people, they were kind of mumbling. You really couldn't hear them audibly. That's what I will say because for other people who were speaking more clearly, um, they did not have subtitles. So I'm gonna play devil's advocate on that one. All right, one more thing. I get what you're saying because for the daughter, 
she did not have subtitles, but she was speaking what was considered standard English. The mother was the one that was speaking the dialect, and that's when the subtitles came on for me. So I didn't actually understand what she was saying. It wasn't more good to me, but the subtitles were still there. I just want to play devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> so my paper, um, my paper was on language discrimination. Um, originally, it was supposed to be on Oklahoma and racism in, well, not racism, but, you know, just little words that are, were considered okay back then, but would be considered incorrect or politically incorrect. No. But then I was like... Oklahoma, the like, yeah, Oklahoma, the musical. Then I was like, you know what? Language discrimination seems like a more appetizing topic to me right now. So I ran it over with um, Dr. Shapiro and she was like, okay, it's fine. Um, so what I wanted to do, I wanted to talk about racial genteel um, in the Trayvon Martin case, because from a lot of my research and a lot of comments that I maybe there was a clip of her giving her um, statement on trial and on in the comments there would just be people saying oh she sounds so ignorant oh she looks so stupid oh she looks so fat oh my god and I was just like wow this is disgusting so then when I actually did research for it, I realized oh I'm not crazy this is a this is an actual thing so my thing was then if if Rachel Gentile was a white woman speaking in a southern accent would she get as much uh, would she get as much hate as she did? I, I I think there would be some people, but I don't think it would be as horrible as it was for Rachel because even reputable sites like CNN were saying that she sounded uneducated and uninformed. And it was just, and then a lot of the research I've done, the um, writers came to the assumption, and I feel like it was a correct, assumption that part of the reason why Zimmerman was acquitted was because of Rachel the the backlash and the interpretation of Rachel Gentile and where did that interpretation come from that she was ignorant and stupid the language she used as well as how she looked but it was mostly the language she used because I, when I see Rachel I see myself because I'm a flat fat dark skinned woman I don't speak how Rachel speaks spoken i honestly think that if that was me in her position i wouldn't get the same backlash because of how i speak but because rachel speaks in a very heavy african-american accent um she got a lot of backlash and the more research i did i actually watched the trial and she was mumbling and she was a bit defensive but if but when the camera panned on the audience you saw a sea of white people you saw a, a sea of people looking at her harshly judging her the way she was being questioned it was very condescending so if you if you are if you are an uh i think she was 16 or 17 at the time that's what i was how she we need you to we need to teach you some william above um if she was if you are 17 16 17 year old who probably has not been exposed to formal English and you probably have never been in such a huge case and you never had such a pivotal role in such a pivotal case and all of these these faces that you don't recognize and this skin color that you have probably learned to be afraid of or resent in some kind of way you would you would feel a bit defensive too especially the way how they were speaking to her especially how because she didn't even want to be a part of the case she did not because she knew what was coming so so that was the angle i was trying to get at with my essay so you're not um in any way kind of passionate about this are you um so, so <laughs> Shana, um and then renice i would like to ask you to respond um specifically sashana in terms of like register and how to use different kinds of choices with the language you use and then also Renice, i'd like you to step in and talk about how um legal language is so rigid and structured that it doesn't really allow for um something like uh uh brianna's uh uh example so sashana can you uh talk a bit Mom, can you repeat what you what you said? Yes. 
so I'm going to ask you to build on what Brianna was talking about when, uh, with your paper and your research and what you've learned about how people can learn to distinguish between different registers and make choices as far as um, being having more abilities of uh, uh, types of language or varieties to, to use so they might be able to avoid um, feeling more fearful and uh, um, concerned in a legal situation, for example. Okay, that was a lot. But <laughs> a lot, a huge a lot. <laughs> okay, so in my paper, I look at how we are socialized as kids through our parents and our teachers, through interactions to distinguish between formal and informal language. So from our parents, we are taught how to separate, how we speak to family friends, neighbors, their workmates, and even how we speak to our teachers. So I honestly think that our family plays a major role in us distinguish, distinguishing between the two. Um, in terms of the legal aspect, uh, I, I am not sure about that part. But that's super formal, right? I mean, just imagine she went from kind of not very formal to like extra super scary formal and the, the huge okay. distance that she had to travel. Okay. Well, um, to jump in there, like, oh, there's my son again. Um, the what's particular about it isn't just that it's formal, right? It's that uh, it's formal and it's really precise, right? You have to say exactly the right thing because when people, when lawyers look at cases, sometimes they look at the video, but they mostly look at the the transcript, right? What's written down. Right. So when you're talking about a case and people say, hey, or like jurors, right, they go back and they, hey, can you tell me what happened on this day? They look at what's written down. Right. They look at what the stenographer typed in, you know, to see what people said on a certain day. So if people are not understood, which, as we've talked about, is part of, you know, uh, discrimination and so forth. Uh, not entirely, as Brianna would tell me, to keep the devil's advocate going. But, but partially the way that people are discriminated against. Uh, if someone's writ is written down that a word is missing yep. or, um, you know, the word spelled wrong. And then if you read it and you're like, what is this person saying? They look uneducated. I don't know. You know, you're not thinking this consciously, but it's in your head. Then, you know, uh, people uh, will perhaps rule against what that person is arguing for or so forth. Um, and so that's why it's not just register, but it's like you, you, you have to rise in the register, but also be really, really precise in what you're saying. So it's a lot, basically it's a lot of pressure to have to speak in a legal case. And if you have something other than the standard dialect or speech and so forth, there are people here that I'm, that are going to talk. So but there is Renice right here who is studying legal language and has been thinking a lot about this because uh, legal language is, as you know, Renice, um, incredibly precise, and you almost con call it a binary system uh, in terms of meaning. And what we mean by things mean is that if it's not this, it's that, or it's only this, and there's not a lot of room. So <laughs> go ahead, take it away, please. Me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, <laughs> so, um, my, um, Renee's in Antigua right now. Everybody else is in Barbados. Okay. My essay is on the ambiguity in language and the misunderstanding in law. So basically, um, the legal ter terms or language used when communicating in law is different or it can be different and similar, but mostly different 
when relating or when using it outside of the um, law field. So you find in law, especially in cases or um, in the courtroom when judges are speaking that they use legal terms that what we use as normal people in society, um, we take it for a whole different meaning when, when you reach inside the court or if you study law or if you, whatever you do in law, you will realize that it's completely different to what we use as normal people. And as you said before, it has to be very precise um, when using it because in certain situations you find, especially um, in the legislature, that you might see a word such as, um, what word should I use now? Um, let's say resident, you know, for a normal person, we may think a resident is somebody who um, stays in a country between um, three to six months. But in um, the law term, when you when you talk about resident um, for divorce, it has to do with um, a person that, well, it it's a per, a person may be considered a resident after just a few days in one particular area. Our person may um, be a resident for six months. So I hope I'm getting that right. I yeah, a resident. If she, if the person stayed in a state for six months, they be may be considered resident. While in the next country, maybe somebody who just stays for um, a couple of days. And you will find that under, if you read the Divorce Act in most states, you will understand the difference between um, these residents. Um, you also, when you, even when it comes to, um, um, was I, there was another term that I use. I have to um, go over it because I don't want to say the wrong thing. But... Um, you also have fixtures when when we talk. Do I need to give that amount of examples? Or no, no, I mean, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Okay. You've done a lot of things. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's the, the definition is so specific yeah. that it often traps people. Mm -hmm. You know, and so and that was not a mistake. Right. right. Like, like that wasn't just something that happened by chance. Some of it is by chance, but these laws and these regulations are designed by people and these people make decisions and they're not stupid. So they're well aware. They don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they know if they put more hoops for people to jump through, mm -hmm. then it's going to take more effort and it's going to catch people. And, this and is back to what all of their rules are about. Sorry, Renee. Sorry. Yeah, in situations where you may have like um, a simple word, example for um, what wasn't a, a good carry. one? Carrying. Huh? We were talking about carrying a firearm, right? Yeah, I have that. Different. Yeah. But yeah, carrying a firearm because you may think okay, it's just having it on you. But it can be more than that. So that's why I say, like law. It when you study le when you study law, it, you're learning a whole different language also because yeah. it's a lot of different meanings to different words, and even the ones that we use regularly, you know, is totally different when you when you step into the law field. So I mean, when doing, studying, practicing, it's just a whole different language. You know, for me, it's learning a new language in a sense of learning new languages in a sense because you know it's, it's just more than what you normally or what you're used to so we have about oh five more minutes um with our uh uh host uh is there anything that you wanted to ask or say or talk about before uh he wraps up and leaves us and then we can uh, finish up uh with and exam information? I'm sure you're all very excited to get to exam information. Uh, so, you know, 
I could just, if you really want to talk about it, I can just leave now and then you can talk about your exam information. There's so. actually not a lot to tell you, but um, we haven't heard from Dario. We haven't heard from Camille. Um, what do you have to say? Anything, hopefully? I was going to ask for a short introduction about our guests. Yeah. All right. Some people came in afterwards. Um, so my name's Just on, on the internet. I'm JPB Gerald. My name is Justin, um, and I'm a, a doctoral student in New York. Um, and I study language. Well, it's just a doctorate in education, but what I choose to study is language and race and where they intersect. So I've been doing research on um, white language teachers and how that impacts their teaching of language. Um, and I've also been interested in how, in the impacts of being sort of a solitary or one of a few black students in a predominantly white institution, which those two seem to have nothing to do with each other, but they do. So that's, those are the two things that I'm researching. I have a podcast, which is what this conversation is, um, which is about language and race and sort of those sort of things. And uh, yeah, I just, I started doing these sort of conversations on the internet because uh, I think that, I don't know, you've all read a bunch of articles in your semester um, or quarter, I'm, I'm not sure what they call it, but uh, a lot of articles even if they're amazing articles, they stay in a little box of people who read, you know, scholarly articles. Nobody, I mean, like you, 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 if you weren't in class, you probably wouldn't be reading this stuff and that's not your fault. I wouldn't be reading this stuff either if I wasn't a student. But uh, I think that discussions about these sort of things need to be broadened so that the public can have a, a better understanding. Because if we're all seeing with what's going on in the world right now, people don't really pay attention to experts at all because, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I think part of the reason is that we all talk to ourselves only. And so I want to talk to more people, which is why I'm talking to you. Do you feel like um, you have a different understanding uh, about language and dialect um, than other people now? Wanna, to, oh. Do you want to have... <laughs> Are you talking oh, to me? That's another thing. No, my students. Oh, okay. <laughs> wanna. Um, they, we're making fun of my use of wanna um, in class. It's always nice to make fun of myself. So... Hello, everyone. What's your understanding of language now versus other people? Peter, Dario, Um, I think it's a hugely overlooked system that we've developed over the years. And it's just very underappreciated. One of the that, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think to like what I mean, talk about language and dialect, I think that's something so small but so important. And because many people do not understand what these terms actually mean, they're often mean, sorry, they're often misused. So I think that because of this, I don't have like even a more detailed understanding from what I have before. Hey, Camille. Hi, hi, I'm actually at the supermarket. I don't know if you all can hear me. Yes. Hi, everyone. So, um, for me, in terms of language, I think that is something that we, like, when we're speaking, I don't think that we take it as seriously as uh, or realize that our words actually have meaning. Because working as an essential worker, like, people actually do not listen. Like, they do not listen. Like, so if they're not listening to experts, I can't expect them to listen to me. But I mean, like, you would tell somebody, well, look, they are six feet away from the tray and they, nobody not listening. If you want to start where I'm coming from. So, like, to me, it's as if, like, and people looking at me weird because they sign out talking to my phone in public. So, yeah. But I think that it's something that... This is important work. Yes. I think that even, like, speak, like, because, all right, as you would know, I sell in the market or whatever. And people would use language that isn't positive towards me. Because they think that I am of a lower class or of a lower person because I'm in the market selling. 
So I so for me in my situation, I believe that language and how we use it should be taken more cautiously compared to sorry, the follow question sorry. Compared to you understand? Like yeah. we should treat everybody as if we're as if we're speaking to our teacher with respect. That's how I personally feel. Um Camille has been uh really working hard. She is essential because she and her family have been producing the food that we are eating. Um, so she's got a really tough job and tough life right now in terms of getting to the market. So she knows what she's talking about in terms of having to navigate all of this stuff. She's been outside and we haven't. So thank you. <laughs> Well, all right, folks, um, I'm going to let you talk about your exams because I'm sure that's exciting. Um, and that's really what you want to talk about with your life. But thanks for talking to me. Um, I will send the info to Dr. Shapiro soon. Um, and then she will send it to you. And then you can hear what you sound like through the computer. So, <laughs> but thanks for talking to me. I, I had a lot of fun and I'll enjoy talking about your exams. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wow, you guys are fantastic. This is great. I'm so impressed with you. Because if you noticed that like everything somebody said kind of like went into something that somebody else knew and then somebody else could talk about something. So I think um well I have had such a good semester with so it's it's getting late. I don't want to take your time. How are you doing? Do you want to take off? You, you all questions answered. Um, I'm still around, but we're not together anymore. We're breaking up as a class. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna miss you. We're gonna miss you too. You're the nicest teacher I've had so far at this school. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Is she crying? No, she's not. You're crying.